This is week five of the Go 2020 series. This is the last and final installment of this series. Uh, we had no ideal or uh, ability to see into the future when we uh, thought about these messages back in uh, November of last year when we laid out our sermon plan for the year. Uh, we were stating that we was going to be going in uh, May of 2020, and here God turned it into staying in 2020 and causing you to stay home and stay put and stay safe. Uh, but here we are, uh, the world is returning a little bit somewhat to normal, the new normal they call it, and allowing us uh, to go back to work healthy. We're thankful to be back in church uh, healthy and doing practicing all the social distancing we got the chair six foot apart we got uh, hand sanitizer for everybody walking in doing the temperature checks and things like that so we're grateful people wearing masks um, when we exit when we come in so that we could uh, make sure and uh, keep the place as sanitary as possible we are cleaning through the week so we're grateful for everybody that's stepping up and uh, stepping out to help us in that regard and uh, keeping everybody at the bridge safe. This week's message is entitled Go Stain. Uh, is going to be our topic that we're going to talk about, Go Stain. But before that, I want to jump into a little uh, segment here uh, to begin this. It's in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples. And he speaks to them. He says, a new command I give to you love one another as i've loved you so you must love one another by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another if everybody say if if changes everything so jesus spells out and gives a commandment but he doesn't make it a declarative statement that uh, he's going to make you he's given you the insight and the opportunity to do the right thing. So Jesus will never make you or force you to do anything as long as you're breathing earth here on this planet. He will direct you. He will lead you. He will guide you. He will talk to you. He will speak to you. He'll do all those things to encourage you, to point you in the right direction, but he will not make you. Someday when you stand before him, there will come a time where he's sitting on the judgment seat, and it's not an age and dispensation of grace or mercy, and we will be made to do some things then. So Jesus, where we're at today, is very graceful, is very comforting, is very merciful to us as sinners. So this verse, as Jesus is teaching his disciples, was in a society where everything was not perfect. He was in a situation of living amongst people groups from all different nationalities, of all different creeds, of all different types of things that people were in and about in Israel, the nation that he lived in, because Roman Empire had taken over, they had rule, they left a king in place, King Herod, we know the stories through the Gospels about these things, and Jesus was living in an age of disunity, of turmoil, of strife, of division. So Jesus was speaking to a disciple's a group of disciples, of 12 disciples he had chose that he picked out and told them to come follow him and learn of him and be meek, to be mild, to be all those things. And Jesus was speaking to them and he said he's given them a new commandment. And that new commandment was to love one another. So as he's saying the world is a perfect place, 
Is he saying that we're living in an age of perfection, of total unity? No. He's saying love one another irrespective of that. It doesn't matter that our outside conditions and those around us and what they think and their ideology and maybe their nationalities and maybe all those division and divisive things. He was saying love each other in spite of those things. So what are you going to do with this commandment that Jesus is leaving you with? What are you going to say to Jesus in regards to him saying, love one another? But he didn't just leave it at that without any example. He didn't just say, love one another, and didn't tell them how. He said, love one another as I have loved you. So whenever we put that into our personal space, I'm going to ask you, how well did Jesus love you? When you was in sin and walking outside of the will of God in your life and doing whatever you wanted to do and living your own life and in your carefree, nonchalant, just going about doing your own business, but did you come into the maybe a church service or maybe you had somebody to witness to you on the street or maybe you come in, no matter how you got to the gospel, but the gospel got to you and when it got to you, did you sense Jesus' love for you or his hatred for you? Amen? When I encountered Jesus, I didn't encounter hatred. I encountered love, even though I knew I was a sinner. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, he loved us. Even though you was a sinner, even though you was practicing sin, even though you was most, one of the most immoral creatures on the planet maybe at the time, that when you encounter Jesus, you encounter love. And that type of love is what he's telling you. As I have loved you, love others. So whenever we think about how well he loved us, that should be our answer to how well should we love others. Is others going to do you wrong? Yes. Is others going to persecute you? Yes. Jesus said pray for them that persecute you. Pray for those that despitefully use you. Pray for those that are about you that wish you harm. So Jesus is showing a picture of love in a way we could understand. But does love stand up for truth? Yes. Does love stand up for justice? Yes. So in regards to what we're facing today as a nation, we know this past week through whatever platforms you've understood uh, the message of what's happened this past week with uh, George Floyd, a young black man, and what he faced. And the way and manner in which he perished this life was unjust. So as a pastor and as a preacher, I think it's the church's responsibility and job to speak up about love and to speak up about justice and truth. So I want to declare as a pastor, because for the first 70 years or 80 years of this nation's heritage, they declared that all men were created equal, endowed by their creator, right? Have certain inalienable rights, but at the same time owned people of color. That's disgraceful in the face of God. Where was the church speaking about truth in that situation for those people that were slaves to other humans, that were owned by other humans? 
It's sad. So I believe as a church we have to speak to these things. We have to declare truth. And I want to say as a church and as the leader of this church and the pastor of this church, I am 100% anti-racism. That would have been a good place for amen from you guys. <laughs> There's one. Amen. I'm anti-racism. I don't believe racism has any place in the church. I don't believe racism has any place in society. And I believe it needs called out and spoke to by the church. The church shouldn't sit by and be quiet and let other people be owned by other people and let other injustices happen. I believe we have to speak out. So I want to say to the Floyd family, George's death was an injustice because he deserved life and not death. And I believe the church should be the one to declare that and speak to that and tell the truth in love. I'm not saying it in a hurtful way, in a hateful way. I'm saying it in love. So sometimes injustices have to be spoke to. They have to be taken into account. So I begin to think about some of the writing and some of the things that's going on and what would Jesus do? That's why we should look at anything in our life. What would Jesus do? So there was injustices in Jesus' life and in his disciples' life and we can take into account, and a lot of people use the Bible and pick one verse and use it to their advantage and say, this is what I think and this is what God says. Sure, it's in his word, but are you putting it in context? They taught us in Bible school that you let Scripture interpret Scripture, that you need to find multiple places to spell out any belief or any doctrine or anything like that or practice of your faith. And I was thinking about writing, and I was thinking, what would Jesus do about an injustice? In the Gospels, it says that one time Jesus went into the temple and money changers was there. Did Jesus just sit back and limp-wristed and say, oh, well, he wasn't a weak Jesus. He didn't just step back and say, well, just let them do whatever they want. It's just, let's be real humble and mild and meek. The Bible says that he went in, took a whip, and run people off and turn tables over, and turn people's property loose, pigeons, that they were selling in the temple. It was an injustice in society that people were being taken advantage of by people in power. So Jesus spoke truth to power. So that was kind of like a riot, wasn't it, to turn some tables over? So some people, I was thinking about that, some people could use that. I've never seen it yet. I've not seen it on Facebook or anything yet. Nobody used that as an example about a riot, and what would Jesus do? I think Jesus rioted a little bit. But I do believe this, that Jesus didn't sin. The Bible says he was perfect. There was no sin in him. So Jesus spoke truth to situations, and he did get a little bit angry. I think he was a little bit mad when he was turning tables over. Anybody ever turned a table over? I never have. I've seen, you know, people, videos of people getting mad and all that kind of stuff, and people getting angry enough to turn tables over. Maybe they're playing cards and mad about this, and maybe it's old westerns they turn a lot of tables over. I don't know. And I thought some anger must be built up a little bit. The Bible says be angry, but sin not. We have some holy indignation that comes on the inside of us whenever injustice has happened. There should be an anger inside of us that says that is not right. Amen? But that does not mean that in anger we spew hatred. So the church has to be very careful. Very specific in this word that we're very cautious about what we say as Christians. Very cautious about what we share. 
very cautious about what we do. Injustices are to be spoken to. And I'm not saying Jesus went in and looted everybody and stole everybody else's stuff. I'm saying he turned some tables over. He rioted some things. So whenever I'm talking about this, I'm not giving credence to what the people are doing because, one, I think the, what they're doing at nighttime is wrong. That's my personal opinion. The Bible says, you know, we're children of light, not of darkness. And it talks about how the people do things during darkness. We shouldn't be out. Nighttime was made for sleeping. Can somebody say amen? I, I never did like night shift. Did you, John? I don't like night shift very good. Some people have to. I know nurses have to. And uh, Sometimes Donna gets called in the middle of the night. you got to go. There's okay. But in darkness, is made to sleep. He made it heaven and earth, and he made it night and day. Separated them into two categories. So I think you should be sleeping at night. Jesus' rioting, or what I will call it a protest, was done in daylight. So I believe in peaceful protesting. I believe that injustices are made, and sometimes when power gets too authoritative, that authoritarian, that they step in and overstep their bounds, I believe people as civilians should step up and we should protest. We got rights to do that today. It's in the First Amendment. We got an amendment allowing us to peacefully protest. News media shouldn't be taken to jail because they're out there videotaping. They've got a right to do that First Amendment. I, that was wrong, 100% wrong. It's an injustice to the First Amendment to our Constitution of our America. And I know I'm on a pulpit today, but that's okay because I believe God allowed us to have this nation. And I believe we wouldn't have it if it was not for him. Amen? I'm not saying our nation's perfect. I'm just saying he's given us a good one. So as this happened, Jesus is rioting. Yeah, he did it in the daytime. So if you want to peacefully protest, please do that in the daytime. That's my thought on that. But there's other times that you'll see in our scripture that we're going to read today about being stained by the gospel that there is an account of times of riots in the Bible. It's full of stories. Read the book of Acts. There's more riots happened in the book of Acts probably than any other place in the Bible that I know of. There's times of protest. There's times of, 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 of war. There's times of all different types of things. So these protests happen. But I want us today to pre please, as a church, to join together and pray for the Floyd family for justice to take place. I'm not saying me being judgment. I'm saying according to our rights as a nation, that there should be a jury, there should be a trial, there should be all those things, amendments to spell those out, of how that should take place. I'm not saying I'm judging it, I'm calling for justice. I want to pray for that as a church. I want to pray for peace and comfort for the family. And I want to pray for peace of our nation. Franklin Graham is calling for us, the church, to do that. So if you would, please join me bowing in prayer about these situations. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. God, we are so weighed down by the situations that we find ourselves in today in the year 2020. Lord, our hearts are heavy. Lord, as we contemplate these things, allow us to please be mindful of how we speak to these situations, of how we speak about others. And God, I pray that this verse that Jesus left us with, that we would love others just as he loved us. 
God, I pray today that that would be in our actions, in our words, in our deeds, in our posts on social media, in everything that we do, God. Allow us to be a people of love and not hate. God, I pray for justice. In this situation with the Floyd family, God, I pray that you would give that family comfort that you promised, Lord. You said the Holy Spirit would come and he would be a comforter. God, I pray for that family. That peace that passes all understanding would rain down upon them even in this hour of unrest. God, as a nation, I pray, Lord, that you would cause us to turn back to you. Lord, that we would humble ourselves and pray and seek your face, just as your word said, and turn from our wicked ways. Because as humans, we're wicked, God. But as new spiritual creations in Christ Jesus, we are new-minded. God, I pray that your church would rise up and live your mind on this earth. Lord, that we would think like you. Lord, we would act like you. And we would say what you would say. We would do what you would do. God, I pray for peace for our nation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This Go 2020 sermon series as we've been going through is definitely happened in a season and a time where I think a shift is happening in the spiritual realm, that there is something taking place that we can feel like the ground underneath our feet is literally shaking. Amen. That we sense that something is up and what's going on, we don't know. And it seems like day to day that anything can just happen and, and we're, there's an unrest. And Scripture teaches that and the Bible is full of that. And Jesus didn't leave us without Scripture or without the Word of God to go to for answers in our life. So as we go, I want to ask you today to think about these things that as we go, that we would go stained. Stained by what? Stained by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That I would be so stained that others couldn't help but notice what has happened in my life. So I want us to go to Thessalonians, the book of Thessalonians, the first epistle that Paul wrote to the church back at Thessalonica and I want to read the first chapter for you and we're going to use this as a basis for us thinking about being stained. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 beginning at verse 1 Paul and Silvanus and Timothy unto the church of Thessalonica which is in God the Father and in our Lord Jesus Christ grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. Paul loved the church. Verse 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and in the Father, knowing, brother, beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you, not, on, not in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as you know which manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, and having received the word in such affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, 
so that you were examples to those that believe in Macedonia and Archaea. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Archaea, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned unto God from idols and served the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath which is to come. I love this epistle that Paul wrote back to this church that he helped found that on his missionary journey that he is traveling through a region of the earth that had never heard the gospel of Jesus that had never heard of this man called Jesus and Paul was on a journey to make Jesus known he was on a journey to go and speak the gospel to people groups that had never heard so our missionaries still do that today we talked about them last week and as Paul was going he had a customs that he did. He had a method. He had a way of doing things. So you go back, and if you can't read just this text in and of itself, you've got to go back to understand the people group that he's talking to, and it's in Greece, and to understand the history of it, you need to go to Acts chapter 17. So Paul's on a missionary journey. He's traveling through a land, and he comes in this town named Thessalonica. And as he gets there, what does he do? It says in the, in the custom practice of Paul, he would go to the synagogue. Acts chapter 17. And he went in for three weekends in a row. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath and he spoke and he used the Old Testament to speak to and show and prove that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Paul, being a person, a Jewish person, he left the boundaries of his homeland in Israel he was born outside of there, but went back there to Bible college, basically, in Jerusalem, and then went out later on. But as he was in the Jewish faith, he, he believed so much in the Bible that he used the Old Testament. And sometimes, like I said a few moments ago, people will use the Bible as a sword, that it is, but they use it as a sword of harm. So Paul did that. He was a, a Jewish person, a, a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was holy in his all things that he did and, to, and knew to do according to the Old Testament. He tried to live a perfect life in his Jewish faith. But in Acts chapter 8, there comes an account one time that there was a riot happening and there's this guy named Stephen that was preaching about Jesus and telling about Jesus and the Jewish people didn't like it very much. And they grabbed this young man and they carried him outside of town and he begins and keeps, to, uh, keeps spilling the gospel. He keeps telling the gospel. Even in the midst of persecution, Stephen is still preaching. He's still living the gospel. And there's this guy named Saul of Tarsus that is standing there, a Jewish person. And it says that he holds their cloaks. And these men of the city, these devout Jewish leaders, they put their coat over Saul's arm and he held their coat while they picked up rocks and they stoned Stephen to death. So he was a participant without throwing a rock. He made it okay, didn't he, by holding the cloaks. He's just as guilty as those throwing a rock. 
This same Saul is this person that's on this road to head out, even though he'd done all this harm in Jerusalem to the church, and he tore it down, and he, he'd done everything he could to make sure the church of Jesus didn't exist because he was doing what he thought was right. You can do what you think is right and be wrong. Can somebody say amen? So Paul, this Saul of Tarsus is here doing all these things, and he says, guess what? I can go out and I can go to this other city named Damascus, and when I get there and I do that, I'll put just as much harm into the church there. I hear they're spreading. I, I, I despise this gospel of Jesus. And as he's traveling on this road to Damascus, we know the story, right? That he falls off his high horse. He's blinded by a light. And Jesus appears to this Saul of Tarsus that's persecuting the church. And he says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Why kickest thou against the pricks? You ever get tired of stubbing your toe when you're doing wrong things? Amen? That's what Jesus is telling Paul, Saul at this time, and he calls him Paul. He gets renamed to Paul, this guy that's writing this story we read about. This is a conspirator to murder that turned into a gospel witness extraordinaire. So Saul becomes Paul in the New Testament, and he's writing to a church that he founded and telling them, I pray for you always. And I, there's peace from God, he says, to the church in Thessalonica. How much peace do you want in your church? How much peace do you want in your neighborhood? How much peace do you want in your society? How much peace do you want in your culture? How much peace do we want in our nation? How much peace do we want in our world? That's what Paul was saying when he spoke to these people. And he remembered how good it was. Was it a perfect situation? Was founding a church, was that easy? No. Go back and read Acts chapter 17. Because as he's there, and as he's traveling through this region, and as he goes in for three weeks and tries to use the Old Testament to prove that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, it says that there was people of great dissension there in Acts chapter 17. Read it. It says that they, they begin to be tore up about it. They're like, well, who's, what's this stuff he's talking about? He's coming in here spreading some kind of new message, and what is that? I've never heard that before. And they begin to get mad about it. And it says they took up and they began to ride. And it talks in Acts chapter 17 how they rioted and how they went in and drug Jason out of his house because Jason was housing some of them. And they drug them in the streets and they took them before councils and they tried to judge them according to the judgments that they have. Think about that. All because Paul was stained by a gospel that he couldn't shed. He couldn't get rid of the stain. He lived the stain. So in saying that, you got to get good at perfecting your stain. And as an example, something I thought about that yesterday we went golfing and Lathan rode around with Coach Sandy and or otherwise known as Dusty to the rest of the world. And Dusty is a perfectionist. I don't like it's OCD or whatever any of those other terms. I think it's a perfectionist thing. And Dusty's like that with anything he does. He, he just goes in at full tilt. He studies about it a whole lot, right, Albie? And he goes at it with everything he has. He's gonna, if he's going to devote himself to it, he's going to be devoted to it. It ain't halfway. It ain't half-hearted. It's, it's I'm going to go with it. So Dusty hasn't always played golf, right? Just picked it up then when. 
10 years, 12 years, 13 years, something. 10 years, something like that. So if Dusty is going to play golf, he don't just go out there and say, well, I'm just going to swing and, well, kind of like Lathan, you know, that's the way Lathan does it. And don't practice much and just do the best I can. And I'm having fun doing it. That's kind of like me. I'm like Lathan too. But Dusty want to perfect things. So he'll go home and he'll watch YouTube videos and he'll get the new little uh, practice ball and he'll get out in the yard with it on the album and he'll just stand out there and practice his swing. He'll do that over and over and over and over until he wears himself out with something. And some of the guys have never been golfing with Coach Sandy or Dusty, otherwise known, until yesterday. And, and they was there, and they was, they was watching him from because he was in another crew behind us. And they was looking, and they said, man, his swing is perfected. They didn't say his golf game was perfected. His swing was perfected. And they were amazed by it. They said, how, how is he so consistent on every time he approaches the ball, he does the same exact move? I'm not like that. I never approach the ball the same way. I never do. I, I just don't have no repetitiveness about me about those type of things. So Dusty's really good at that. And whenever he does that, does it saying that his score is going to be perfect? Does he get a par every hole? No. He bogeys from time to time. Actually, double bogeys sometimes. Got a birdie or two here or there. Yeah, so because you're perfected your swing does not mean you've perfected your game. So Dusty's like that about a lot of things. So a few years ago, we had here at the Kentucky Heights campus, we decided we wanted to do a connection group, and it was all about ping pong. We bought our ping pong tables at church, and we was going to do a connection group because we want to reach people. They maybe have never heard of the gospel, and we'll do anything. 1 Corinthians 9.22 says, I become all things to all people that some might, means I may win some. So if you can play ping pong and win somebody to Jesus and share the gospel, do just that. Get you a ping pong table. Amen? Get you a kayaking club, right? Leslie used kayaking to get to Cindy. Cindy's sitting here today because she had a friend that drove the bus with her that invited her and went kayaking and just showed her what love was, and Cindy's here today because of it. You can use whatever avenue you got to to share the gospel of Jesus. We wanted to do a ping pong club. Dusty never played ping pong, I don't think much, right? Very little. So Dusty, we come to ping pong. He shows up. Even though he can't play, not play much at all, he wants to be a ping pong champion, right? The Bethesda back then, ping pong champion. Ping ball, yeah. So, so we come, and, and we're, I don't know how many of us are here. There's probably, I don't know, Eight or ten of us showed up, and, and we're here, and some people's really good, and some people's really not good. Not saying anything, but Dusty really wasn't good week one. So what Dusty does when he is not good at something, he's going to find out, what can I do to perfect to become better? So he goes home in week one and watches all kinds of videos. And I remember him, come, I remember him coming back and saying, well, I watched a lot of videos this week, and I thought, how dumb is that? What's YouTube got to do with playing ping pong? Because I, I was the only, Coach Prater in high school, in, uh, I had two different PEs because I excelled really good at PE and not really as easy way out in classwork, right? So uh, Coach Prater, he would give us a better grade if we, we didn't have to dress out or anything. Call and dressing out, you know, putting on sweats or something like that. I don't wear it kind of junk. I wear blue jeans and that's kind of me. And he, he said, you don't have to dress out as long as you participate in some sport or activity you're going to get a better grade. So I sat over there, and I watched other people play ping pong, and I thought, well, I could, 
that don't take a lot of effort, and I'll take the easy way out every time, and I'll get in it, you know. So I started playing ping pong with people, and there were some really good people in high school that played, but I, I got better by playing with people better than me. Practice makes perfect, some people say. But you can practice old bad habits and keep the same thing. I never learned anything new. I just did what I knew to do and tried to do the best I can. That's why I can serve really good. I, def I perfected that one thing. I can serve ping pong. That's about it. I can't turn my paddle right. I can't keep it on the table. I, can't, I, I really struggled the rest of the way out. But I can, I can serve and probably get you to miss a time or two. I usually don't get skunked. But Dusty watched all these videos, and he comes back to week two, and he's a whole lot better. Not perfected, not perfect, but better. By the end of that six-week thing, and here's something about Greg. Greg Hall is pretty good at ping pong. You wouldn't, probably wouldn't imagine that Greg's very good at ping pong. I just never even thought Greg Hall and ping pong. I never put those two together. I couldn't see it. Could you, Donna? But Greg looks like he's got springs in his knees. So... Where Greg's standing over, I think he does this some kind of mind game with you or something. John, you, you're going to have to play ping pong with Greg sometime. So he looks like he has springs in his knees, and he's standing there, and he bounces like this. So the whole time you're standing there looking at him, and, and usually people stand still, and, you know, you, you, ping pong games is a certain thing, and Greg's over bouncing like this, and I'm like, what in the world's he doing? So it messes my whole game up. I can't even serve right. It's like, man, he, just stand still. But Greg's really good at ping pong. You'll have a hard time beating him. But Dusty watched these videos and did certain moves and learned the basics of ping pong. And I'm telling you right now, basics will get you through life a lot better than practicing bad habits. Amen? So in this stain deal, what I'm talking about, Paul could have kept on the same traditions that he always had, Ernie. He could have kept using the Old Testament as a sword and talk about killing and hating and just living a vile, evil life, basically, in his religion. Or he could be stained by the gospel of Jesus and turn that anger into good. This man that went and seen people in a city build a church from nothing was once a hater and a murderer. It's a lot of change. But Paul was so basic. And even in one of his writings, he says that there is simplicity to the gospel. I preached a sermon on that one time. Simplicity of the gospel. And Paul learns these basic things, Ernie, that if I go into town, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to walk in the synagogue, and I'm going to stay there, and I'm going to tell them about Jesus. And I'm going to prove to them through the Old Testament that Jesus is king. He's the Messiah. He's the son of the living God. He's the one true and only God. It's amazing what he was stained by when he got touched by Jesus. Has Jesus touched you? Are you stained by the gospel? And as, Jesus, as Paul does this, Jesus touches him and, and ministers to him. It changes his life forever. But as he goes throughout these cities, he would write these letters back and encourage them even after he left. He didn't leave them and abandon them. He would write back to them, Ernie, and say, here's a story. Beloved. He would always start out with beloved. Grace, peace, mercy to you, church. Was this a perfect church? No, this was a church that ran him out of town. 
the, the city of Thessalonica, people took up arms against them and ran him out of town. But he left a gospel message there that stained people that turned into a church and a thriving one at that. And as he writes this letter back, think about all the things that he knew these people's names that had been won by the blood of Jesus. But this stain really happens. Anybody ever stained something? Maybe clothing? Anybody ever stained a piece of clothing? How awesome is that? Maybe it's your favorite shirt. Anybody got a favorite shirt? It's the one you wear all the time. Your wife gripes at you about wearing too much. And yeah, we all got those, right? Maybe it's the husband gripes at you. When are you going to get something new? Maybe it goes the opposite way. I don't know. Leslie can't understand it because I, I don't know if it's my belly's too big or my mouth ain't big enough. But literally about every time I eat, stuff falls out of my mouth and gets on my shirt. So even though I've got favorite shirts, I will stain them often, very, very, very often. And she, I'll get home and I'll say, yeah, i got to stain it. And she's like, yeah, I know. Go spray shout on it. You can go in there and holler at it if you want. It ain't going to help anything. she got sprout bottles. You know what I'm talking about. So I, I shout it out. Woo, yeah, shout it out. I'm constantly, I don't know how much shout we bought in our marriage, 15 years of marriage, but it's been a lot. Because sometimes wherever you're stained, you don't want that stain, do you? It's like I'm embarrassed by the stain a little bit. But sometimes I love a shirt so much, and even though it's stained, and maybe I tried to shout it out and it didn't shout out, I wear it anyway. Right? I still got oil and junk and maybe meatball sauce on it. I'm going to wear it anyway. I like it. But what always happens wherever you're around a friend and you got a stain on your shirt, you're self-conscious about it, ain't you? You're like, I love my shirt. Even though it's stained, I like it anyway. I'm kind of embarrassed by it a little bit, but I'm wearing it anyhow. And whenever they start looking at it, you're like, oh, no, they see the stain. You ever seen their eyes? You'll fall it and be like, ah, what? And then you start covering up, be like, turn sideways. Well, this past week, Leslie come to eat with me at work, and i got to turn some valves on to turn my heat and cooling on in my office because I can't get it to work right the way I like with thermostat and make it mad because I, I can't make it work the way I want to, so I just open and close valves. I'm pretty basic in how I understand I can turn a valve on and shut a pipe on or turn it off, right? I, I know how to do that. And what I do, they're up in a ceiling above the ceiling tile, and it always gets me really dirty. So every spring and fall, I'll go down and change a few <laughs> valves down so I make sure that my office is the way at temperature. I like it. I don't care. You don't like it in my office? You don't like temperature? Don't come in. It's, not, I, it's my office, right? So I set it up for me. Personalize it. But what I do, I go down there, and I, I mean, I'm literally, and I usually dress up for work or try to button up shirt or something, and get up in that ceiling. I have to be careful, but the valves are in a bad place, and I... Usually gets my arm all black. I'll make sure I'm wearing short sleeve shirts. But I go in the bathroom downstairs and I'll, I'll clean it off real good, wipe it down, use the good soap, the Gojo soap, you know, wiping it all down and everything. Well, I done that last week, and then I went back upstairs, and then at lunchtime, Leslie shows up and she's going to eat lunch with me, and we go back in, and my boss is sitting there with us, and we're sitting around the table, and yes, we're socially distant, and sitting six foot apart, and, and I rear back my chair after eight and put my hands behind my head. Whenever I do this, my boss is talking to me. He's not just my boss, he's my friend. And as I was sitting there, and I reared back and had my hands behind my head, I noticed his eyes wasn't looking here. Anybody ever had that happen? His, his eyes was looking at my arm. I was like, what's he doing? So I looked down, and the bottom of my arm right there was black. I'd missed a spot. I got stained, right? I, I missed a little spot there. I cleaned up everything else, but I still have a spot. And what did his eyes do? He couldn't help but notice it. 
He, could, he couldn't get away with, with just kind of a general glance because you can't do that whenever you see somebody stained, right? You look at them, you're like, oh, no, I'm looking at a stain. I can't quit. Uh, can't quit. I will be so stained by the gospel of Jesus that people can't help but notice the Jesus in me. I hope and pray as a church as we go in 2020 and we try to perfect this thing known as a simple gospel of Jesus being born of a virgin, living a few years on this earth, spreading the gospel, caring, loving, healing, delivering, setting free, doing all these things that Jesus did. Then he dies on a cross. Then they put him in a grave. And he comes out of it victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And then he ascends into heaven and he promises to come back and get us and take us there to live with him forever. That's the gospel. It's basic. It seems too simple. It sounds like it can't even be true, but I'm telling you today, it's true. This man called Jesus is a deliverer. He's a savior. He's the Messiah. He's the son of God. And he stained my life. And I hope I'm stained to a point that others can't help but notice. So as we go, let's go be stained by Jesus. That others can't help but look. When you see them looking at you, that weird look, that's your cue. You ever heard about Jesus? Where do they begin to stare and say, man, there's something different. You ever heard about Jesus? Let's be like Paul, not like Saul. Let's love and not hate. If you'll bow your head and close your eyes with me. I want us to pray today. And I want you to contemplate that term, that question of how stained are you? How much stain of Jesus do you have on you? How much God is others seeing in you? The word example that was used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 7, chapter 1, verse 7, says they were an example to the other regions of the earth. And that word example in the original language says literally means a stain. The church at Thessalonica was a stain. They were stained by a gospel message by this man named Paul. And it went throughout the earth. People heard about what they was doing not only in words but in deeds and actions. Pray that we have soft voices and big actions in regards to love. That we will live the commandment of Jesus to love others even when they persecute us. I want to be stained. How about you? I want you to pray right now and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal himself to you. To embolden you to be a believer in a way that shares Jesus to others. That when we go in 2020, we'll make a difference. We can look back and say, wow, only God. I want to tell you a story. Look at me just a minute. 
look at me just a minute. I want to tell you a story. Literally last week, Leslie and I went to one of the people at Bridge Church, went to their house and just to be with them for a minute or two. And they got a little girl. She's really, really, really little. And they told about a few weeks ago whenever they came to the drive-in service that they pulled in and pulled up to a spot and stopped and put it in park and ready to hear the drive-in service. You know, tell her to go 911. We're all good. The little girl says, Mommy, this is not a good spot. She said, well, what do you mean it's not a good spot? She said, I can't see God. I said, well, can't see God? Yeah, I can't see Him. She's like, oh, you mean preacher Ben? She said, yeah, I can't see God. So she had to move. The little girl wouldn't shut up until she moved. So she backed up and pulled over another spot so the little girl could see preacher Ben. I don't want to be seen as Ben. I'm not my own. I've been bought by a price. I've been stained by the gospel of Jesus. And I've been told that at work before. People say, man, I can see him in your eyes. When you're living close to him, you'll know it. People will recognize it and they'll tell you. I'm not saying I'm God. I'm the farthest thing from it. I'm a, I live a... But how stained are you? How close are you living to him to make a difference in other people's lives? Let them say of me, he's an example to follow. Follow me as I follow Christ. You'll be stained, I promise. Love God, love people. You're dismissed.